You're listening to Foresight, a podcast about making work better. I'm your co-host, Mark Edgar, a former consultant and coach who now works as a chief people officer on a mission to make work more human. And I'm Naomi Teitelman, a former big firm consultant and HR executive, now striving to make work better one organization and one leader at a time. Every week, we'll discuss the latest trends that are impacting the new world of work to help you be a better leader for the future. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Foresight, a podcast about making work better. My name is Mark Edgar, and it's great to be with you all today. I hope everyone is doing well. Today, yet again, I'm introducing the second part of our interview with Josh Burson, who Naomi had the opportunity of meeting with recently. And like I said last week, I'm sure you're going to get some great insights from the episode today. More insights from Josh around systemic HR, shares some examples around organizations that really are thinking about this in the right way in addition to sharing his feel-good. So please do enjoy the episode, and I look forward to catching up with you shortly after the conversation with Naomi and Josh. One of your other secrets in the book, which is growth, not promotion. So how, you know, now we understand the problem that we need people Mm -hmm. upping their leadership game really early on in their career. And it's not really fair to assume, just like we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, it's not really fair to assume that just because you're senior or moving up the chain, you actually have leadership skills, right? Leadership skills right. are very different to, you know, individual contributor risk management skills. So how do we how do we facilitate this at the pace yeah. that we need to? Well, I would venture to say that very few people are born with leadership skills. Naomi, you happen to have been one of those people, but <laughs> I certainly wasn't. <laughs> My basketball team believes so. Well, you must have had it in you because uh, the kids saw it early. I think... There's a couple of dimensions to this. First, people learn how to be a leader by being a leader. So it isn't a process of waiting until someone's ready. It's a process of letting somebody take the role on and learn on the job. Mm -hmm. And so that is, you know, one of the paradigms that's changed. The second thing is if you look at many, many studies on effective leaders in sports and industry and science and the arts and politics, they've had a lot of failures. They've tried a lot of stuff. And a lot of those things didn't work out. And so one of the other principles to me of leadership is this idea that horizontal mobility and exposure to new situations will eventually make you a much better leader, Mm -hmm. even if it's a high-risk move. So this idea of Maybe you need a horizontal before you get a vertical move is becoming a very popular paradigm. Like at Microsoft now, and I talked to Joe Whittingill about this, they don't, they tell people, don't walk around here looking for a promotion. Get, take a lateral assignment. We yeah. want you to know what it's like in engineering, what marketing is like, what happens in sales, what happens in operations, work in the PC business, work in the cloud business. If you get that kind of experience, you're going to be capable of being a big general manager, you know, high value contributor at Microsoft. And so that's what that story is about, that chapter is about. Because I think this idea that I'm not going to take a new position unless it's a promotion or I'm going to wait my turn just doesn't happen. The world doesn't work that way anymore. And that's actually counterproductive to the types of leaders we need. You know, there's a great book that I read, you know, many years ago that I still recommend. It's called Range. It's a book about training and development, but the and the guy who wrote it is an analyst. But what he basically found is that if you study the careers of the most successful people in many, many domains, 
they have all had a lot of failures. In the early parts of their careers, they jumped around a lot. They were trying things to figure out what they were going to be good at to try to find, try to find, you know, the thing that would make them happy and successful. And that is true of everybody in business too. So it, it, you know, it isn't a, a world of, you know, hitch your wagon to one job and wait your turn to move up the pyramid anymore. That, that's possible, of course, but that's a relatively rare situation now. So, so that's, that's what this is all about. The other, by the way, the other reason that, you know, growth, not promotion is so important is that companies are changing all the time. So you might be in a business area where you're really suited for a promotion, but maybe that business area is shrinking. Yeah. It's not even strategic to the company anymore. So if you're not willing to work in something else, you're not going to go where you want to go. It's not going to be possible. So, so, you know, thinking about growth all the time is good for the company and good for every individual. Yeah. We just have to manage the impatience of some of these more junior workers. I'm stereotyping a bit, but but just, you know, trust the process. Trust that if you do take laterals at this juncture, eventually you will excel and you will take off and you will grow in ways that you never thought possible. And what what I see happen a lot of the time is people who want to get promoted so fast and then they just get stuck at a certain level well, for many, fail, many, many years. And they, and they flame out and they yeah. never really learn how to do that. I mean, I'll give you my example, you know, my philosophy on that. My entire career, I was an, I was essentially a, I wouldn't say I was underperformer, but I never really got promoted very much because I only took jobs I liked, mm-hmm. I only did things I liked. And I never cared that much about the promotion. I, I just looked for jobs that were fun for me. And now in my 60s, I have this wonderful career that's a culmination of all of these things I did that were so much fun. And it worked out great. Now, if I had said to myself at the age of 30, God darn it, I'm not a director yet. I've got to find a job that's a director. I probably would have failed at it. I probably wouldn't have been very good at it. So, you know, I hope other people can sort of think about their lives that way. There's no rush. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's no rush for sure. So, Josh, as you know, many of our listeners are HR professionals. And so I would love to get your thoughts on HR's big opportunity in building and sustaining irresistible organizations. You've been writing and speaking a lot about the concept of systemic HR, which maybe you can explain a little bit to our listeners. This We just had a big meetings on this this morning with 25 companies. So, Listen, I, I parachuted into HR in the early 2000s. I don't claim to have been here at the, at the founding of this profession. But what I've observed over the years is that the operating model for HR is designed around the IT department of the 1980s. In other words, it seems to be designed around a service delivery efficiency model. So we have centers of excellence. I mean, the first time somebody mentioned the word center of excellence to me, I remember thinking, really? There's excellent people in there? Wow. that's <laughs> You know, I didn't even know what it was. So centers of excellence, business partners, specialists, generalists, you know, you guys know what all these jobs, you know, recruiters, L&D people, DEI people, comp people, you know, compliance people, labor relations people, all these specialists. That is a service delivery strategy. Is mm-hmm. that if you need service in this area, we'll find you a specialist. It's not a design strategy. It's not so it's not a problem solving strategy. It wasn't HR wasn't designed to be a consultative problem solving sort of product oriented function. 
And so now all of the problems that companies have are multidisciplinary problems. You have high turnover. Maybe you've hired the wrong people. Maybe you're not paying them enough. Maybe the management needs training. Maybe it's a diversity problem. Maybe it's an EX problem. So, you know, all of the new problems that HR is dealing with have to do with systemic solutions. And for me as an analyst, having studied so many areas of HR, I see this every minute. Mm-hmm. Every time I talk to a client about a problem, I'm thinking there's about six things involved going on here. Not yeah. one. So what we need is we need the HR department and you guys as HR professionals to look at every problem and take a step back and say, what are the 10 things that could be contributing to this? And how do I get a group of people together to work on this? Now, the problem is those people are in different COEs. They have projects of their own. They're working on something, some some program they're trying to launch. And they weren't designed to come together and do this. So we've got to reorganize the HR function so that it can operate in this systemic way. And we're doing a lot of work with a lot of companies to figure this out and give you guys a lot of examples. The second half of it is information and data. If I'm the business HR business partner in a manufacturing plant in, you know, I don't know, Toronto or someplace, and we've got high turnover, or or maybe we've got you know, fo- you know, a bunch of labor relations issues, or maybe we have poor quality in the plant and we're not producing stuff right or whatever. It might be nice to know if any other plants are having the same problem or if somewhere in the world there is a tendency for the same problem to occur, but not in other places in the world. So me as a consultant or an HR person can see the patterns or maybe the CHRO can say, you know, that plant operations problem is not unique to that plant. That's a big problem we've got across all our plants. Maybe they're not, dis- maybe our operating model in the plants is not correctly. So we need information there. And we also need information for sourcing, recruiting, and development. One of the things we discovered in most of the interviews the last couple of years is almost every company is having a labor shortage. Almost every company is having problems with turnover. And so if all you did was say, you know, open a job rack and throw it out there to the, tra- the recruiting department and say, go fill this slot. And they take, you know, five months to fill it. And then the person comes in and they leave after two months. You're not making the company any money. You're just wasting money. Yeah. Go back to that manager and say, well, let's look at the retention of this group. We have this idea of the four R's, recruit, retain, reskill, redesign. Let's look at the retention of that group. Maybe there's other people with skills that should be in that job. And maybe this job is a crummy job and we should redesign it. And we need to do that kind of work with all of these business people that we work with. And we can't do it if we're not organized correctly. Yeah. So that's what this is about is, is cross training and creating a new operating model. And it's not about the org's chart so much. It's the operating model of HR and how it works. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you this is going to be high value. I just had 25 companies on the phone this morning and every single one of them told us this is where they want to go. They're just not sure how to do it yet. Yeah. See, that's that last part is so I, I'm really curious about. So do you know of any companies who are doing this well at the moment? And what do you think the biggest barrier is getting in our way? Okay, well, let me give you the example that I I think is a great one because it's easy to understand and they've given me permission. Bank of America has 60,000 or so people in the consumer bank in the United States. These are people that work in branches and small banking centers, I think they call them. And they don't make very much money. They 
are constantly turning people over. They have to get trained in a lot of different things to, in order to do their jobs. And the way it and they were having high turnover. They were having inconsistent business results measured by branch balances. And some analyst back in New York did an analysis of the consumer bank, and he figured out that the most highly correlated factor that was driving profitability and revenue in a branch was the tenure of the people working in that branch. Hmm. Because as you know, if you've ever gone to a branch, if the people in the branch don't know how to really do their jobs, you kind of take your checking account and go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So then he said, well, okay, great. I figured that out. Why do we have high tenure in some places and low tenure in other places? We have no strategy. Our recruiting strategy is all local. So we don't have a we don't have a national recruiting strategy. So every branch manager is recruiting each branch employee one at a time, using their own sourcing. We we have a global onboarding program, but it's more of a process onboarding program. We don't have sort of really coaching, and it doesn't go for the first two years. It only goes for the first couple of months. So once you get onboarded, supposedly the branch manager is supposed to teach you everything you know. And by the way, branch managers having high turnover too. So anyway, he figured out all of these systemic problems. And he said, let's look at the whole retail branching branch group, all of the levels and different jobs in those branches as one functional problem. Let's look at it as a systemic problem. And he went out and he redid the way they recruit and he redid the way they do onboarding. And they built a new service center, a multifunctional service center to take care of the branch employees. They built analytics and feedback so they could measure employees' success at different points in their career in the branch, on and on. And they called it the Academy at Bank of America. And it wasn't training. It was much more than that. And sure enough, the revenue and the profitability started to skyrocket. And there's a mm. huge ROI of this. And he wasn't even an HR guy. I mean, he actually came from operations. But as soon as the HR people realized what was going on, they jumped in and poured resources into this and they built this multifunctional academy, you know, which is a little bit of the misleading name, but for the retail branch bank, it worked so well. Then they did the same thing in Merrill Lynch. Then they did the same thing in IT. They're doing it in different parts of the bank now. It's essentially taking all these independent COEs and reorganizing them into solution groups focused on particular business areas of the bank that are different. Mm -hmm. you know, employee issues in retail are not the same as the ones in the Merrill Lynch wealth advisors or the stock traders or the IT guys. So every company has the opportunity to do that. Every single company has the opportunity to do things like that. That's just one simple example of how this can happen. Yeah. And you've you've called it full stack HR in the past and that not everybody needs to be a full stack HR person. Right. But you kind of need that that nucleus who's going to understand the problem and know who to pull in in order to solve the problem from multiple disciplines. And I don't think you get to get off scot-free and say, well, I'm only a recruiter. I don't want right. to know about that. I don't think that's true. If you want to be a professional in HR, you need to know enough about these adjacent topics that you know what you don't know and you know that you need help, mm -hmm. that these things are important. And it's intimidating because we have 90 domains in our capability model. There's a lot right. of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the things that has to happen for HR people is they need to broaden their horizons and get to know these adjacent areas so that they can bring them to bear. 
And this is true for engineers. By the way, I was an engineer and I know software engineers. If all you know how to do is tune an Oracle database, you're not going to have a very happy career. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you know, in fact, you're probably not going to have much of a career at all because that thing's going to eventually be automated. So you've got to kind of branch out and keep looking at these new areas. So, so I think the full stack idea is really important in HR. Yeah. If you're walking around with a hammer, you're always going to find nails, right? So, you know, a bit of it is meta because it's what are the incentives for these different COEs and these different HR groups for themselves? Never mind figuring out what the incentives are for, you know, the business groups or the functional other functional groups, but what are the incentives and how are we aligned to those incentives in HR? Well, and and that gets and that gets me to another point that comes up when you talk about this. If your incentive is time to hire, price to hire. Yeah call, return, speed. What the hell? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I don't care how quickly you hired the wrong person for a job right. we didn't need anyway. <laughs> exactly. You have to redefine HR around the problems that the business is trying to solve and take yeah. accountability for that, not just our little metrics that we've created for our own little 1980s IT department. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> So true. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I faced, you know, an open rack that gets filled really quickly, but the recruiter never asked the question, you know, what other skills does this person need? What other problems do they have to solve? Right. It's 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 still unfortunately incredibly tactical and tangible things that they're looking for because of the metrics that they're measured on. So that sounds like one barrier to making this happen. There is an issue, of course. HR doesn't generate revenue, so it is a cost center. Mm -hmm. So there are companies that have way too many HR people, but that's because they're not well-trained, they're not well-aligned, they're not working on the right things. And sometimes what happens is the local business groups are so fed up, they hire their own HR group, Yeah, and there's actually 15 HR departments that are sort of hiding doing yeah, their own thing. shadow HR, so as we like in, to call it. Yeah, so it, is, it isn't just... You know, doing the right thing. It's also doing it in an effect in a, a productive way. But that's why I'd say we call it an operating system, because if you look at the research on org design we've done, org design is not redesigning the org chart. It's e redesigning the way people work, mm -hmm. how they work together, regardless of their title and their you know home on the org chart. And and so I think the the, the the systemic HR solution, when we get to putting it on paper, is going to look a lot more like a professional services organization and a lot less like an IT department. Yeah, makes perfect sense. That really resonates. Okay, well, Josh, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Foresight. And before you go, can you please tell the listeners how they can learn more about the work you're doing? You can go to joshburson.com. A lot of it's there. You can go to bursonacademy.com and become a member of the Academy. It's very inexpensive, and you will learn tons of stuff, and we put much of our research in there. And then I'm out there on, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so you can and be then, one of his 900,000 followers. Yes, and I do call people back, and I do return emails. So if anybody wants to talk to me about anything, just reach out, and I'll be happy to get hold of you, and we'll talk about what's going on in your company. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Josh. Before you go, we like to end each episode on a very high note. This has been a really engaging discussion. Thank you so much for all the great nuggets you've shared. Hopefully our listeners have taken lots of notes. I know I have. We like to end every episode with a feel good. We call it a feel good and it can be personal or professional. So Josh, what are you feeling good about today? 
I am feeling really good about having a grandson who is one week old oh. who looks exactly like I did. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. A mini me. Yeah. That's yes. so perfect. A mini yeah. Josh. And we don't know yet if you're grandpa, but we do know that his middle <laughs> name is Yoshua, I think, right? Yep. His middle yep. name? His name is Teddy. It's his first name. Yeah. Teddy. Beautiful. So congratulations again. Thank you. And I'm feeling really good about the new digitally powered CHRO community we're building. You and I spoke about it a little bit before we got on the podcast. It's called Foresight Plus. And as you know, Josh, we've been building community since 2016 with conferences and workshops through our big reset sprint here in Canada. And Foresight Plus is really the next evolution for us. So we're launching our spring cohort and anybody who's listening who is interested can check out our website and express interest. We'll have a cohort launching soon and another one launching in the fall. So we're really excited about that. Great. Naomi, I will definitely join whenever you'd like. Fabulous. And one more announcement before we go. We do have an exciting giveaway. So the first five listeners who share this episode on LinkedIn and tag Mark Edgar or me, Naomi Teitelman, and or Future Forward with an HR in it, will receive a free signed copy of Josh's new book, Irresistible. So thank you, Josh, for that. And good luck and take care, everybody. Thank you so much, Josh, for being with us today. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you. Take care. Well, there we have it. Two fantastic episodes with Josh Burson. We're always super excited to hear his insights. He really is in our mind, one of the go-to people in terms of his knowledge of HR, the information he shares, really do encourage people to follow him, join those 900,000 followers on LinkedIn, which is pretty staggering. And also do visit his website. His information is always so accessible for everybody who works in HR. Great job by Naomi interviewing Josh and for sharing those insights. And as always, hope you really enjoyed it. Hope you do have the opportunity to perhaps share this with somebody who you think would be interested in this episode. Maybe it's a great one to share with your team and have a conversation with them to see how some of those insights could be brought to life in your organization. So many great ways of putting some of this content to life. That's what we really appreciate when we have the opportunity to meet with people like Josh. But as always, please do leave us a review. They mean a lot to us and do get in touch if you have any feedback. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. And thanks for your support. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Foresight. If you enjoyed the episode, we would love to hear from you. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Your ratings and reviews also help more people like you find our show so that we can reach more future forward leaders and achieve our mission of making work better. Follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Future Forward and sign up for our weekly newsletter, Foresight, on our website, futureforward.com. That's F-U-T-U-R-E-F-O-H-R-W-A-R-D.com, where we share even more about the new world of work. Talk to you next week.